Hey, this is the Mark Butler Show, episode three. This is the part where there'll be some music playing in the background eventually, and you'll be like, oh, that's such catchy intro music. But for right now, you just get my voice, you just get me talking, and we'll deal with the intro music later, or maybe never. Besides, we don't have time for intro music. We've got to dig right into this content. I'm really excited to share this stuff with you today because I'm going to take you through my process and my perspective and my decisions around launching this new product called Let's Do the Books. You might have heard me talk about Let's Do the Books already. That's fine. I'm not, this isn't like a sales pitch for Let's Do the Books. I'm bringing you to my side of the table and I want to talk about this as product creators and as business owners and go through each of the steps that I used to figure out how to launch this thing, how to price this thing, what to include in it, why I think it's going to be a success and what I think are the biggest threats to my goal of of making this a $200,000 product for me in the next 12 months. I'm going to take you through this today through the lens of what I'm calling the profit cycle. And the profit cycle is just a little framework that I sketched out on a piece of paper that acknowledges that everything we do in business breaks down to one of three core elements. You have marketing, you have sales, and you have fulfillment. Marketing attracts people to you and to your products. Sales converts those people into revenue And fulfillment delivers a great experience to the people who have paid you so that they buy other products from you and tell other people about you. So let's jump in and let's talk about the marketing of Let's Do the Books. I break marketing down into three core areas. You have positioning, you have contacting, and you have uh, establishing uh, kind of the like and trust factor with with your market. So let's start with positioning. You hear positioning called all different kinds of things, picking a niche, picking a target market, picking an ideal client, um, writing a positioning statement, they all kind of mean the same thing. You're identifying who you're helping and what you're helping them with. So in my case, the positioning statement for Let's Do the Books is, I help life coaches who are earning less than $50,000 per year spend smart when their business is young, which means helping them grow their business with as little debt and as little stress as possible. Now, also part of my positioning is, is recognizing how I'm different from other people who are, who are kind of operating in the same space because I'm dealing with people's money and you have people in that space who are accountants, bookkeepers, kind of CFOs, um, money coaches, like mindset coaches. You have all these people kind of dipping their toes into the same space. And so I want to identify how I'm different. And the difference with me is, number one, I'm not an accountant. I am a business owner. I'm not a mindset coach, so I take a very nuts-and-bolts, math-driven, systematic approach to helping people take control of their business finances and their personal finances. So I help life coaches who are earning less than $50,000 per year take control of their business and personal finances, and I do that in a very math-driven, systematic way. That's my positioning statement. Now, I think it's worth taking just a minute to talk about why I'm limiting myself to life coaches, and why I'm limiting myself even further to life coaches who are earning less than $50,000 per year. Any book you read about positioning that I, or picking a niche, anything like that, that I think is worth anything to you will encourage you to get kind of scarily narrow in your positioning. So for me, I could say, well, this program that I'm about to create, it would apply equally to almost anyone who's self-employed, anyone with variable income. Anyone who's trying to start any kind of business. Um, or I could be a little more narrow and I, could, and I could say, well, this applies to all coaches, solopreneurs, and online marketers. Or I could still st- uh, stay pretty broad and say, well, this applies to all life coaches at, at every level. 
but I want to get very, very specific. I want to get so narrow that it's almost scary to be this narrow. And the reason I want to do that is that all of my marketing, all of the messaging around this program, and then the program itself will speak directly to that person who's in this very specific set of circumstances. So if you're a life coach, I know what kind of programs you're offering. I know how you're pricing them probably. I know how you're structuring your offerings. I know the language you speak when you talk about your products. I know probably how much money you've invested to get trained. I know how much money people are encouraging you to spend on different programs. I know this market so well because I've, I've lived here for the last three and a half years. So when I'm faced with opportunities to sell my program to people who are not kind of up-and-coming life coaches, my first thought is, well, yeah, this, this will apply to them. They'll get great value to this program. But then I have to remind myself that the more targeted and the more specific my offer is, the more credible it will be to the person that it actually is for and the more effective the program will be for that person. So I'm not watering down any part of this. I'm not watering down the marketing, and I'm not watering down the product. I'm saying if you're a life coach who is earning $50,000 per year and feels some desire and some pressure to spend money to grow your business, and if you feel that the money you're being encouraged to spend is in some way competing with some of your personal needs and personal goals, and you're struggling to make the decision between do I use the money over here? Do I use the money over there? Am I falling behind? How can I make this thing a success? If that's you, everything that I do will be, will be specifically tailored toward what you're dealing with. So if you're a freelancer or a service provider, or if you're a life coach who's earning more than $50,000 per year, or if you're, any, if you're anything else, I'm just saying to you, hey, you could jump into this, I guess. I mean, I'm not going to stop people from buying it, but I'm not going to call out to those people in any part of my marketing. I'm not going to hedge my bet. I'm not going to say, well, this is really for life coaches who are earning less than $50,000 per year. But hey, if you're a whatever, if you're a, a functional medicine practitioner, you'll, you'll also probably like this too. I'm not going to hedge my bet that way because that functional medicine practitioner the reality is they can read through my copy. They can go through my messaging and they can see where they fit into that or not. So I think I'll still get a lot of those people to buy this program, but I will not water down my marketing by calling out to them directly. This program is all about life coaches who are earning $50,000 per year and trying to grow their business with as little debt and as little stress as possible. So my question for you is, are you watering down your marketing if, if I go to your website right now, will I see a headline? Will I see copy on that website that is kind of hedging its bet? Will I see that you're kind of calling out to this person and that person and the other person? Because I promise you, if I see that, that's probably one of the reasons you're struggling to either get the clients that you want, or if you find yourself struggling to, to establish a real rhythm with your clients, uh, meaning in client acquisition, and if you find yourself kind of being fatigued in delivering your services, I would ask you if that might be because you've invited too many diverse types of people into your business. People with, with very specific kind, uh, one-off needs and one-off desires. If that's the case, you'll find yourself getting tired as you have to get in one frame of mind to serve one type of client and get in a completely different frame of mind to serve a different type of client. That transition, that switch between this type of client and that type of client is emotionally and mentally expensive. So 
we're talking about marketing. We're talking about a positioning statement that focuses on a specific person. And we're doing that because, yes, it'll help us make more sales more easily. But I can go downstream in a business and I can look and see how loose, kind of mushy, watered-down positioning or picking a niche shows up in every other part of the business. It all starts here with a tight position. Now, by the way, I think really tight um, positioning statements or picking a really tight niche, I think that's a discovery process more than it's kind of a a meditative process. I think people who just sit down with pen and paper and try to just decide, oh, well, I think this is going to be my target market, I think that can work, but I think that's more likely to fail than if a person goes through a period where they do say kind of, they say yes to lots of different types of clients and they figure out what are the best parts of working with each type of client. In my business over the last three years, I've worked with coaches, I've worked with marketing agency owners, software development shop owners. I had a furniture store once. I have, I've had um, online marketers. I've, I've had a really diverse set of clients. I had, I've had a couple different headhunters as clients. I've had a really diverse set of clients. So saying yes to all those clients eventually helped me see that I can do the best work with the least effort from me for a very specific type of person. And it happens to be that life coach who's selling a combination of one-on-one work, group programs, and maybe some home study courses. I discovered that really tight market. So I want you to end up at a really tight market, but I am kind of giving you permission to discover it by going through an internship phase where you say yes to every type of work that you could possibly do. You will know that it's time to leave that internship when there is so much demand for your time and for your services that you're starting to get a little tired and a little overwhelmed. And then you can say, okay, it's time for me to narrow down, simplify, and streamline this business and start to say no to people who want to work with me that don't fit this very tight, um, this very tight niche. So that's my, that's my talk on positioning. I am going to do someday soon a full episode on positioning, picking a niche, because I think it deserves 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour to just really dig in there because I think people really struggle with that process. But that's my niche. Life coaches earning less than $50,000 per year who are trying to avoid stress and debt in their finances. That's me. Next, we move on to my contacting strategy. This is the next part of marketing. Once I know who I'm trying to reach, I've got to figure out how to reach them. My contacting strategy is going to be kind of three-pronged. One, Facebook ads. I am going to advertise on Facebook. Why? Two reasons. One, I'm terrified of it. I've never done it before, and I have this anxiety that I'm going to burn a whole bunch of cash and get no results. So because I'm scared of it, I have to do it. (laughs) It's a a growth opportunity, and I recognize that, and so I'm going to advertise on Facebook because it's a skill that's definitely missing from my toolkit. And the other reason that I want to do Facebook ads is because, for me, a real sign of a mature business and a mature business owner is that you can advertise uh, profitably. If you have not yet gotten to the point where you can advertise profitably, you're still at the mercy of word of mouth and sort of other one-off kind of marketing initiatives that you do. But if you can turn the nozzle up and turn the nozzle down on paid marketing, there's a maturity there that I've never achieved in business that now I'm excited to achieve. The benefit here is there are so many different ways to acquire leads, to make new contacts. But when you use paid acquisition, paid marketing as the, as the foundation, you put yourself 
in so much more control over the direction and the success of your business. You can't, you can't ever control it 100%. Uh, Facebook can change their algorithm. Ads can get really, really expensive. Your ads can stop working. You can never control these things 100%, but they give you more influence and more control over your marketing outcomes than so many other things you can do to, to get leads. So I'm starting with Facebook ads. That's the way I'm going to contact new people. Another way I can contact new people is with affiliates. Now, I, you probably know this, but an affiliate is someone who has a list of people that fit your demographic or fit, fit your profile, your niche, and you ask them to tell their community about your product and you pay them a commission for doing that. In my old business, uh, I ran a, a membership website a few years ago that had over 1,000 members. Affiliates were one of the primary drivers for us, for my business partner and I. Affiliates were one of the primary drivers for us. Now, affiliate marketing is kind of tricky, or it can be tricky, because in my old business, where we were selling this membership, most of our affiliates were bloggers, and these bloggers didn't have their own products, so they were always looking for new ways to monetize their traffic and monetize their community. So we offered them this really nice opportunity where they could get paid a great commission without having to create a product. Well, if you move into the coaching space, which is where I'm operating now, almost everyone got into the coaching space because they wanted to launch their own products. So when I'm talking to them about, hey, will you, will you launch my product too? My product is now competing directly with their product for airtime. They're trying to figure out, well, if I sell, if I promote his thing, I'm spending some of the emotional equity that I have with my list. Because every time you ask people for money, you are using some of that emotional equity that you've built up. You're drawing down that emotional bank account. So they're trying to decide, well, should I draw down my emotional bank account with my list for the sake of his product? If I'm going to do that, there has to be a really compelling reason to. His product has to perform better for me than one of my own products would. The reality is it's very rarely going to be the case that promoting someone else's product will perform better for you than promoting your own product. And I would say that in the long run, it's never the case that promoting someone else's product is better than promoting your product. I've seen businesses that, that, um, that sell other people's products. These are businesses in the coaching space, and they promote some of the most popular programs out there that you've heard of, but I won't name here. And they get paid amazing commissions on those products. But eventually, it just makes sense to take all that energy that they're putting into, into promoting other people's products, develop their own product, and kind of... Cut out, the, cut out the other person and take 100% of that profit for themselves. So as I think about recruiting affiliates for Let's Do the Books, I'm not going into it with the idea that people are going to build big launches around my program. They could, and I would be grateful, and I would support them in doing that. I'd show up to webinars. I would do whatever they asked me to do if they would promote my product to their list. But the reality is, I'm not even sure I think it's in their best interest to do that. So what I'm going to do instead is try to recruit a bunch of affiliates and say to them, hey, I want to be a resource for you. You're a business coach. You have life coaches in your community. When, when money comes up, I would like to be the person whose name you mention. So when people are saying, hey, I got to find a bookkeeper or hey, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my cash flow management or my projections or any of these other things that people say about the money in their business, I want to be the person that you say, oh, you've got to check out this, uh, this guy, Mark Butler. He has this program called Let's Do the Books. And it, it goes through that whole thing. So you should go over there. Just give it a look. It's pretty cheap. I think it's like 300 bucks. Go check it out. That is the place that I want to occupy in my affiliates' minds. 
They have business building programs. They have marketing programs that they're teaching people. I want them, when money comes up, to say, let's do the books is your, is your thing. Go check it out. So that means that I'm not probably going to have people doing large-scale launches for me. It means that um, I've got to go contact lots and lots and lots and lots of business coaches so that each day one of those business coaches is mentioning to one of their clients, hey, you should go check out Let's Do the Books. If I, if I contact enough of them and form a relationship with enough of them, then in the long run, that effort will compound and I'll have a steady stream of people buying Let's Do the Books because they're being referred by their coaches and their colleagues. So for me, the affiliate marketing play is very much a long-term play and it's a supplemental play. I don't expect it to be the primary driver of success in this project because I, I really think that that will be mostly Facebook, if I can figure out Facebook, which I will. You know, you're probably wondering, what kind of affiliate commissions will I pay? Well, my philosophy about f- affiliate commissions is that I want to pay a lot. I want, I want the affiliate opportunity to be as exciting as possible so that when people refer people to me, um, well, so they do it enthusiastically, right? I want them to think, man, if I send people over to Mark Butler, I could make a hundred bucks commission. I can make a hundred and fifty dollar commission. The reality is, when I think about affiliate marketing, I'm not thinking about the sale. I'm thinking about the referral that comes after the sale. In other words, let's say that Jane Doe is a business coach. She tells her client, "You got to go check out. Let's do the books." I would probably. I won't do this, but but it wouldn't bother me that much to pay my whole $300 sale to Jane Doe, the business coach, for the referral that she gave me because what I want is the customer and I want the referrals that the customer will give me. It's a long-term perspective. Now, I don't need to pay out 100% commissions, but I'm willing to pay out big commissions, you know, 33%, 50% for people who really send me a lot of people. I'd probably pay more than 50%. Because I'm looking to grow my community of customers because I know that from that community of customers, I'll harvest referrals on referrals on referrals. Affiliate marketing, again, for me, it's, it's a long-term play. It's not about a money grab. The last two areas I think about using for my contacting strategy is uh, podcast guesting. And I think that's great. Being a guest on podcasts, I think, can give me little little bumps here and there. The reality is I think being a guest on other people's podcasts is probably a better contacting strategy for my podcast because people are already there listening to a podcast so you know that they're a podcast listener. And it's a, it's a very simple move for them to say, oh, I'm going to add another podcast to my, to my list. It's this Mark Butler show. That's cool. But when I'm, when I'm ready to put Let's Do the Books out in the world, I will probably try to go on a podcast tour and just try to kick things off that way. I don't view it as something that's going to be a long-term contacting strategy of any substance, but I do think it can help me kick things off. The last place or the last way that I could do contacting for Let's Do the Books is just through cold outreach. I think cold outreach kind of gets a bad name because people think, oh, cold calling, no one wants to be bothered. But I think when it's done well, if I had, say, let's say I had somebody from Fiverr make me a list of, they, you know, just kind of uh, trawl the trawl the internet and find a bunch of life coaches' websites. And if I just set up a system that made friendly contact with those life coaches, I think I could make sales that way. In fact, I think that if I were to, if everything else were to fail, let's say that I couldn't figure out Facebook ads, let's say that I couldn't figure out, um, I couldn't get anybody to, anyone to be an affiliate, I think with a $300 program, I could spend four or five hours a day just doing outreach 
not spamming, but just value-added, friendly outreach to my ideal customers and make sales. I only have to make a couple sales per day for this to be an amazingly successful product. And if I'm, if I'm good at it at all, if I develop any skill at all in that, in that outreach, then yeah, three or four hours of outreach per day absolutely would produce a couple of sales per day. So there's a lot of different ways to contact people, to introduce them to my world and to put them on the path to buying Let's Do the Books. I've got to use all of them and I have to make contacting my primary focus of my marketing. So next we move on to the like and trust aspects of marketing. Once someone is aware of you, we know that before you ask them for money, you want to get them to a certain level of comfort with you and confidence in your ability to solve that problem. The way that I do this and the way that I've always done this during 10 years of launching products online is through emails. So when people, my contacting strategy will bring people to a landing page, an email opt-in, and no one will be able to see the sales page for Let's Do the Books until they've given me an email address and gone through my email sequence. Why is that? Well, it's not because I'm trying to necessarily build a huge list, although that's a side benefit. The reason I'm doing that is because I'm not going to let someone see my value proposition and my pricing and all of that. I don't want them to look at that until they've had a chance to get to know me and to like me and to trust me. It's just getting things out of order. So my like and trust strategy will be, you come to my website, you give me your email address, you go through a series of five, seven, or I don't know, eventually maybe 20 emails where I introduce myself, I tell you some stories that you get that get you to see that I understand you, I understand your problems, I understand the solutions, I've solved these problems for other people, and I can solve them for you. After you have that confidence that I've established through those emails, and by the way, also through video, because video is such a powerful way to connect after you've read my emails and watched some of my videos, then I know that I've at least given myself a chance to have you like me and trust me, and now it's time to move on to the sale, where I actually make a proposal and ask you to pay. So for Let's Do the Books, that offer, the sales, the, the, the actual sales offer is going to be on a web page where they'll read a bunch of sales copy, and then they'll see the price, and then they'll either buy or not buy. And if they don't buy, then I'll keep following up with them through email and saying, hey, but, you know, continuing to try to build a relationship and, and being there when they're finally ready to make the purchase. But the primary offer will be on this web page, and from there they'll go into the program. Now, there, of course, there are a lot of different ways to make an offer. You can do it on a web page. You can do it in a webinar. You can do it one-on-one. Uh, I'm, I'm, as of this moment, I'm offering Let's Do the Books at $297 for a 12-month membership. 297 is a little too low of a price point to be worth getting on the phone with each prospect and, and selling them directly. You could do it. And back to my earlier point about contacting people four or five hours a day and just sort of inviting them one at a time into the program that way, you could also say, I'm going to get on the phone with each of these people. In fact, a few years ago, this is probably seven or eight years ago, a partner and I had a $600 home study course and I did a sales call with almost everyone who bought it. And man, my close rate, by the way, was high. It was probably, <laughs> once somebody got on a call with me, I had probably had a 90% close rate. So it's not that you can't get on a call to make a $300 sale. It's that it'd be better if you didn't have to. And to that point, it would even be better if you didn't have to get on a webinar. I know how powerful webinars are for making sales. And so I will do some webinars. But I want Let's Do the Books to be a program that people can sign up for pretty easily without having to go through a webinar. 
I want them to watch my videos. I want them to read my emails where they get enough of a comfort level and enough confidence that when I say, hey, this is what I'm offering, you're going to pay $297 for it. They'll say, oh yeah, that's, that's great. And they'll sign up. Now, if I can't make the sale just on a web page, then I will do, I will do webinars. But I don't think I'm going to need to. And by the way, I don't love the kind of um, open and closed shopping cart launches. I've seen enough of them now, and I've seen enough businesses who use them that there's really nothing about them that appeal to me. So the challenge that leaves me is if I'm not going to do open and closed cart launches, I have to have some other way to inspire enough urgency that people will actually take action on my offer. Because that's the only reason anyone does closed cart launches, right? They, they just want to help people stop procrastinating. I don't love those launches, and so I've got to figure out how to get someone to take action now when I'm not kind of holding the stick of, if you don't sign up today, you're going to miss out. I'll work on that. I'll probably do another episode about what I'm doing to try to inspire that urgency. But my plan is you opt into my list, you go through my emails, you watch my videos, you land on my sales page, you read my copy, you sign up. Now, by the way, the offer, this is where you're really thinking about the features and the benefits of the program. This is where you're doing what we call the value proposition. And the value proposition says, you give me this many dollars, I give you these features and benefits. So in the case of Let's Do the Books, it's you pay $297, you get a couple of hours of instruction and implementation videos, you get live support in a webinar setting a couple of times per month, Uh, the results for you are you achieve financial progress and peace of mind in your business life and in your personal life. You make more money. You save what you'd have paid a bookkeeper and you'll sleep better at night and you'll make better, more confident decisions every time you have an opportunity to spend on a growth opportunity in your business or on anything you're doing in your personal life. So that's my value proposition. You give me $297, you get all these features, you get all these benefits. Now, it brings up the question, why 297 Why not 497 Why not 997 Well, thinking again about this, uh, this ideal prospect of mine, this life coach who's earning less than $50,000 per year, I know how many people are offering her programs and products, and I know that she usually feels very overwhelmed by all the stuff that's landing in her inbox. I also know that many, many of those products are in the high hundreds of dollars or in the thousands of dollars, and I've seen this prospect of mine in a few different cases, I've seen how fatigued she gets by all these high ticket offers. So there's something very appealing to me about coming to her and saying, you're going to pay 300 bucks and that 300 bucks is going to give you access to me for an entire year. And you're going to get a great result. I like that. That's a really low hurdle for her to clear to work with me. Now charging only 297 is risky or the risk of charging 297 is that it is true that sometimes when your price is too low, you'll end up with customers that you're not that excited about. Customers who are really price sensitive, sometimes they're really entitled, they expect a lot even though they haven't paid that much. So, yes, I am looking for a sweet spot with the price. I'm starting at 297, but I could easily see this going to 497. And at 497, I think it's an amazing value. I don't anticipate going as high as 997 with this because once you get close to $1,000, you're really going to have a you're gonna have a pretty hard time making that sale without a sales call. Lots of people do it. Lots of people make, make sales just based on web copy and video, you know, in the thousands of dollars without, without a one-on-one call. But it, it gets harder. It takes a higher level of ability with, you know, copywriting and creating urgency and all of that. 
So I just don't know if I'm going to get there. For me, this product is probably a 297 or a 497 product. It feels like a great value at that price point, and uh, I'll probably be happy there. I have thought about going the other direction. Because this is a program where people are doing their bookkeeping, they're keeping up on their finances, and that's something they will always have to do, I've thought about making this a membership that's either 29 bucks a month or 49 bucks a month. Or I've even thought, you know, 297 for the first year and then maybe $200 per year thereafter because there will be some people, not a high percentage, but there will be some people who finish that 12 months with me and they want to continue to have access to my webinars. I think realistically it might be 10%, it might be 20% of those people. So I am playing with kind of membership or subscription models that could work with this offer, but for the time being, uh, it's, it's you give me 297 I give you all these great benefits for the next 12 months. The last thing I'll say about pricing is one thing I might do to kind of offset the challenge of not having a closed cart launch to get people to actually take action, make it a little bit easier for them to take action, I've thought about doing like a 30-day trial of the program that's, say, 30 bucks. So I still, they have to pay something and get some skin in the game, but they don't have to come up with the full 300 up front. That's something I can play with. So that's the sales process. That's the value proposition. You give me 297, you get all these features and benefits, 12 months of access, and you're making that purchase on a web page or after watching a video or maybe after attending a webinar, but you're probably not going to talk to me one-on-one to make that sale. Okay, last but not least, we got to talk about fulfillment. Now, fulfillment is, of course, delivering the experience, delivering on the promises that you made in the sales process. So in this case, I already told you what they get. They get instructional video. They get access to me through webinars. For me, delivering an experience that delights them is going to be about helping them achieve a specific result. I will know that I'm succeeding in my fulfillment if people are showing up to webinars, if they're using the system that I've, that I've given them, but the, the single biggest way I'll know if I'm succeeding, I'll know I'm succeeding in my fulfillment process is if I'm having people join the program and I'm hearing that they joined it because their friend or their coach told them, you really can't miss this. It's amazing. Now, as far as nuts and bolts, here's how I'm delivering the program. There will be a WordPress-based members area. People will make payments through Stripe or PayPal. Um, the webinar platform I use is Crowdcast because it has built-in recordings. When I have videos in my members area, kind of tutorial videos and instructional videos, I'm going to be hosting those on Wistia. Now, I've gone back and forth about this because Wistia is expensive. It's it's 100 bucks a month compared to Vimeo that's like 200 bucks a year. The reason I'm going to use Wistia is that it allows for a speed, uh, speedy playback. So people can watch my videos at 1.5 speed or 2 speed, 2x speed. And it's not that I want people to rush through. It's that when I've participated in courses, there's nothing I hate worse than not being able to speed up the playback. I want to hear what the teacher has to say, but I know that I can process that information at 1.5 or 2x speed. That's how I listen to podcasts. To be honest, I hope that's how you're listening to this podcast. So Wistia, as far as I can tell, is the only platform that lets me speed up that playback. YouTube has that functionality, but as far as I know, it's against YouTube's terms of service to put a YouTube video behind a paywall. In other words, to make people log in in order to watch your YouTube video, I'm pretty sure that's against their terms of service. So that rules out YouTube, and Wistia is the only one with speedy playback, so I'll probably go with Wistia. Let's talk about fulfillment risk. 
Now, when I say fulfillment risk, what I mean is you don't ever want to end up in a business where you're successfully making the sale and you're sorry that you did it. So I call it a success penalty. There are businesses where the more successful you get, the less you like your business. My one-on-one service that is that way, where there's a real sweet spot with my one-on-one service where I can have just a certain number of clients and I can do great work for them and I can maintain my own energy while doing it. But if I go past that number of clients, then I start to get tired, annoyed, stressed, bored, and, and I can't handle it. So that's kind of the, the risk of fulfillment in the service business. Well, there's, there's fulfillment risk in a product business too. Because if I offered too many webinars at too many different times, then it would become a real burden on me. If I offered like one-on-one email access to me, that would be way too big of a burden. If I offered, now this is just true for me, but if I offered a Slack channel or a Facebook group or a community forum, that would make me not excited about this program because all of those things feel like debt to me. Like now I have to go in and check the Slack channel. Now I have to go look at the Facebook group. Now people can, they can, they can reach out to me directly instead of participating in the support format that I've created, which is these webinars. So I'm really trying to be careful to minimize my, my fulfillment risk by keeping the feature set as simple as possible. A couple different webinars per month, a members area with a bunch of instructional videos in it, and that's it. If that's not enough support for you, then you shouldn't buy this program. I bring that up to you because I know I've watched myself so many times launch a program or a product And because I'm afraid people won't buy it, I start to pack features in and I offer everything. I offer the Slack channel. I offer the community forum. I offer email access. I offer all this other stuff because I want people to make the sale without acknowledging to myself that if people make that purchase from me with all those extra features packed into the thing, I won't be glad they made the purchase. I'll be annoyed that I even own the business and I will want to shut it down. So we're looking for a sweet spot where the value proposition is compelling to the person buying it and exciting to the person selling it. Be really, really careful when you put features into a program that they don't put an excess burden on your time and your energy. As it stands for me, I think with a couple hours of instructional video and a couple of webinars per month where people can get live one-on-one support from me personally, then that's that's amazing value for 300 bucks a year. That's also amazing value for 500 bucks a year if that's where I end up going with my pricing. The other nice thing about a webinar-driven business is that if I ever were to really get tired of delivering these webinars, I don't think I will because I've always enjoyed them in my in my life as an online instructor. If I ever get tired of delivering webinars, I can easily outsource some or all of those webinars. I have a couple of people that I've worked with who are they're experts in what I teach because I trained them. And I could pay them, you know, some amount of money that they'd be excited to show up to a one-hour webinar and support my community. So that would either allow me to do less webinars myself or add more webinars without having it take more of my time. So I've thought through all of these things, and, and I really feel like the fulfillment risk of, these, of this program is pretty low. Oh, last thought about fulfillment risk. Anytime you're doing video, video is really expensive in time. I mean, if you're hiring someone else to film you, then it's really expensive in dollars. But if you're just doing it yourself, it's expensive in time and it's kind of a hassle. So you want your videos to be as durable as they can be. You, you want them to not have to be replaced or updated often. My program will offer some screencasts where I walk people through software. And I'm just accepting the fact that that will mean that I have to update those videos maybe a couple of times per year. But my program's only going to have maybe an hour or two of video total. So at any given moment, there probably won't be that much video to update. 
But when you're creating a program, be careful about adding tons and tons of video and be careful about having that video be something that's, that's uh, got a short shelf life. Because it, if it expires and if it's not relevant anymore, then you're creating a lot of content debt in your business. The thought that comes to mind is people who teach, people who teach uh, Facebook advertising, people who teach people how to use platforms that are changing pretty often. If you're doing a video-based program where the platform is changing a lot or where the material is changing a lot, you're going you're gonna to get tired. That's a lot of debt to be paying off every year in your business. Time debt, if that makes sense. Okay, that's Let's Do the Books, start to finish. That's everything from the marketing to the offer to the fulfillment process and my mindset about each aspect of it. I hope that's interesting to you. To wrap this up, I want to tell you what I think are my keys to success and what I think are my biggest threats. There's really no part of this business that, that, I, know, that I worry about, meaning I know that at this price point with this feature set for this target customer, I know that I can make this sale. In fact, I've already had probably... 10 of my ideal customer tell me they can't wait for me to launch this program. So that's a sign that I think the kind of the bones of this offer are solid. So there's only one risk in this business and I'm the risk. If I fail to consistently and enthusiastically market this business and specifically if I'm not consistent in my contacting efforts to bring new people into my world so that I can get them to like me, trust me, and then listen to my offer if I fail at that, the program, the product will fail. If I don't, if I am very consistent putting in whatever, three, four, five hours per week on the contacting, this will be my sixth six-figure project. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to have another six-figure project under my belt. I think it improves me as a coach. Of course, it pads my bank account. And it's just fun. This is just such a fun process. So go to markbutler.com, sign up for my newsletter where you'll be able to get updates on this on this product because I don't know when you're listening to this. The program may already be doing fantastic. It may have failed completely. Either way, you'll want to be on the newsletter because you'll hear either why it was such a success or why it failed so miserably, even though I know it won't because I'm the only reason it could fail and I'm not going to drop the ball. Go to markbutler.com, sign up for the newsletter. If you have any questions or show ideas, Send those to mark at markbutler.com, and I will talk to you soon.